Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. And today we're beginning a new series on the show discussing the theme of our new Beeson magazine, which is persevering in ministry through challenging times. For each of the next three weeks, we'll feature Beeson faculty members who've contributed to the magazine. We hope these interviews will whet your appetite for the magazine itself. And if they do, you can access a beautiful digital version of Beeson Magazine at beesondivinity.com slash Beeson Magazine. Before we get started, a word about our upcoming preview day. Our first preview day of the fall semester is September 17. It will be followed by another preview day on October the 15th. So if you or someone you know should be part of our learning community, we would love to have you for Beeson Preview Day. Learn more and sign up at beesondivinity.com slash preview day. All right, Kristen, would you please introduce our esteemed guest and get our conversation started? Yes. Hello, everyone. We are with Dr. Paul House. He is Professor of Divinity here at Beeson Divinity School, where he teaches Old Testament and Hebrew. He's been on the podcast before, and so I'm sure many of our listeners will already know or be familiar with Dr. House. And perhaps through some of his writings, he's written commentaries on um, Isaiah and Daniel and First and Second Kings, as well as a book called Bonhoeffer's Seminary Vision, which we use here at Beeson Divinity School. So we want to talk to you today, Dr. House, and just welcome to the show. We're so glad you're with us. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Yeah. Well, we want to talk to you about an article that you contributed to our 2021 Bisa magazine on a person that perhaps, no, none of our listeners or very few of our listeners have ever heard before. And so what drew you to write about the person of Fritz Anish and who was Fritz? Yeah, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about him. Fritz Anish was a close associate of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's and was integral to all of Bonhoeffer's seminary work. I became interested in Anish through studying Bonhoeffer's seminary work from 1937 to 1940. And two years ago, through help through our faculty development fund and through other friends, I was able to go to Germany and Poland to visit the five sites where Bonhoeffer's seminaries took place. And one of those places is Kuzlin, which is now in Poland. Well, all those sites are now in Poland. And so that is where Fritz Anish was Bonhoeffer's associate and helper. And he was also his associate and helper in Finkenwalde, which is now in the town of Stetten in Poland. So I got more interested. And the more I dug into Anish's life, the more I understood that he was neglected and that you would not understand Bonhoeffer effectively if you didn't understand Anish's role in his life. You ask about Anish, he was born in 1911. He was struck with polio when he was eight years old, and so he had one bad leg the rest of his life, Uh, so he limped. And because of his need for treatment, his father, Friedrich, uh, took, a ch- took the church in Kuzlin 
to be the pastor of the St. Mary's Church and to be district superintendent for 22 churches uh, in Pomerania. Fritz uh, went to university at Erlangen, which was a Lutheran stronghold at the time. He finished there in 1933 and was with his father, founding member of the Confessing Church. And from 1935 to 1945, he served Confessing Church in a very deep and abiding way. Because he was had this uh, injury, he was not able. He was not called up to war, so he served completely through World War II up to when he was killed on March 4, 1945. As I mentioned in our introduction. Dr. House, the theme of this year's magazine is persevering in ministry through hard times, through difficult times. And as we read your article on Fritz Onish, uh, it became very clear that he's somebody who persevered in ministry through very difficult times. In fact, at the end of your article, you talk about how his brother-in-law, another pretty well-known theologian named Eberhard Beke, described him as someone who was imperturbable. Uh, so what does that mean, and what can we learn from an imperturbable sort of ministry? Yes, I, I think the bait commit that he, his brother-in-law was not easily shaken, uh, that he was steadfast, that he endured. I noted a couple of days ago that Bonhoeffer uses this term of God in a, ser- in a sermon on Psalm 42 he delivered in June 1935, and the way he describes God there is reliable strong, a rock, enduring, unshakable, immovable. And nearly everybody that knew Fritz Anish described him in these terms. Uh, There are other terms they used to describe him, but this stability and willingness to continue forward, no matter what the circumstances, uh, marked, marked his life. Many American Christians, and we talked about this yesterday, Dr. House, um, for a few minutes, seem to be interested in Bonhoeffer and the Confessing Church, and we might glamorize or really put their endurance and perseverance up as this model. But then, you know, when it comes to suffering ourselves, that's that's a whole different story, and it may be more difficult when when we're faced with true suffering like we have this last year with COVID. So can you speak to this dissonance, how we can better prepare for suffering um, without also glorifying it? Yes, I think one of the differences between Bonhoeffer and Anish and many of us is that they expected, as they went into ministry in the 1930s, they expected that these would be difficult times, that this was a time for church renewal that would not come easily. And so uh, they really believe that in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, the words of Christ. And so I, I think rather than feeling like something unusual has happened now that we're suffering, they thought this was going to be part of life and hope to be patient until a God's renewal would come. So I, I also think some of the interest in Bonhoeffer strikes me, and I, I don't want to be unkind, but people like Bonhoeffer, as long as they can envision themselves in his shoes, being a spy or telling off Hitler, being part of a conspiracy. But the idea of being uh, involved in a church renewal project that took uh, 12 years and was never completed, uh, which included imprisonment, which included all sorts of difficulties. And for some of Bonhoeffer's students who lived through the war and lived in East Germany, really some of those circumstances pertain through 1990, not through just through 1945. 
So I think we need to see these people for what they were, which was or examples for the long haul who understood that the Christian life is not one uh, of, of ease, but one that requires bedrock commitment to the word of God and to following Christ uh, to the cross. So uh, now I, I would like to say too that the, these are Bonhoeffer and Anish were people who enjoyed life and who were appreciative of good times. And Anish had a, a wonderful relationship with his wife, great, a great partnership. Uh, Bonhoeffer was engaged at the end of his life and very hopeful about the future. So their endurance did not make them sour or unhappy or somehow unwilling to go forward. But I think they accepted it as a normal practice of life. I think we have to do the same because all the best Christians I know have, have faced suffering, have found out that their faith is tested and true, and that as they go forward, the Lord blesses them. What do you think, Dr. House, about people, some of whom I'm thinking about right now, uh, loved ones of mine, who lived in the relatively comfortable uh, context of the United States, and they know because they're Bible believers uh, that Christian faith comes with suffering, but it just becomes very difficult for them to persevere in faithfulness to the Lord when they suffer. It's one thing when you read about the suffering of people during wartime or in the Bible. Uh, again, I don't mean to be unkind, but we can cast a blind eye at the suffering of other people in faraway places and still uh, maintain a steadfast faith in the Lord. But somehow for some of us, when suffering really hits close to home, it becomes um, existentially really difficult for us uh, to persevere in an imperturbable sort of a way. What advice do you have for us? Can you, can you help us just as a minister of the word of God uh, understand how to be more faithful when suffering hits me hits close to my home, my life? Yes, and I, I, I think Fritz Anish is a good life to look at. Um, he and Bonhoeffer, he was Bonhoeffer's associate director in the last semester they did in Finkenwalde in the summer of 1937. Shortly thereafter, um, in, in November, November 18th, 1937, Anish was imprisoned, as were many pastors, um, at that time for a six-week period. And Bonhoeffer and Baitke went to visit Anish in jail, and Bonhoeffer related later that he was pretty shaken up by it, but Anish tried to put him at ease. So I was, Bonhoeffer did better in prison later himself, but I was, I was thinking about what it is that we put into our lives that helps us be built for endurance, uh, because there's some who are surprised we suffer, even though the Bible says this is going to happen. Uh, death is not a reward, by the way, and the processes of death uh, are, are actually more dire these days because of the helpfulness of medicine uh, than they have been in the past. So how do we how do we build a life for this? Well, this is why Anish and Bonhoeffer insisted on helping ministers develop daily habits of Bible reading, of prayer including praying the Psalms, half of which are laments of interceding for other people who are in prison, who are sick, uh, visiting the people who are in prison or who were hurting. 
using hospitality to take in people who are suffering and hurting. And so they, they were willing to bring this into their lives so that the habits that would come that would help them when they were alone and in prison uh, would sustain their lives. So uh, I would also go on with, with Anish. He had this relationship with his wife, Margaret, where they were co-laborers of Christ, bringing people into their own home who were, who were refugees and Jews, including Jews and communists, uh, who continued to live life together as if their home was open as the seminary had been and were willing to open up their table to people who, who were, who were in need. But it was the daily habit of prayer and worship and good relationship in the family that helped them when they could be together and when they had to be apart. So arguing from the, the tougher situation, which I think was theirs to ours, um, how are we doing on establishing and fostering the habits of personal and, and home-based Bible reading and prayer and encouragement and intercession and giving and reaching out to people um, however we can. And so there's part of me that says, if we never see another person suffering, we never pray for them, we never read about them, we never look out for them, uh, we're not only going to be surprised by suffering, we're going to be repelled by it. And I think, so I think the very habits that we need to learn are part of being sustained in the kind of situation we're in now. You've mentioned uh, the seminary work of both Bonhoeffer and Anish, and I can't help but think about your own work here at Beeson Divinity School, where you are training men and women for ministry. So what do you think future ministers of the church, or even just current ministers of the church, um, need to think about as it relates to this perseverance in ministry. I know you mentioned some of the habits that Bonhoeffer and Anish uh, emphasized in the seminary, but as you think about your own work, your mentoring relationship uh, with students and alumni, how are you hoping to shape ministers of the gospel? And specifically, how is Beeson trying to um, shape ministers who will endure through difficult times? I'm glad to talk about that. I'm also happy to report that I do know many Beeson students who have uh, endured less than ideal circumstances above and beyond the norm, the normal difficulties and sufferings of life. And so I'm grateful when I see that. I think at Beeson and anywhere else who, who cares about shaping ministers and Bonhoeffer and Audience, I think the first thing they understood was that you had to stop seeing the ministry as a profession and understand it as a vocation. That, in fact, was part of Bonhoeffer's conversion experience by his own admission, that once he saw this was not about himself and about his profession, but it was about his fundamental relationship to Jesus Christ and his calling in his life, uh, he had things the wrong way around. Once he understood it was a vocation and a calling, he saw then that he could not separate himself from God's people and that he had to be guided then by God's word, the scriptures. And that it would be the scriptures that then showed him how to be a minister, how to be a friend, how to be a teacher, how to be a seminary director. And so really, um, and Anish was very 
almost simplistic in his in his trust of the word so that uh, Bonhoeffer was about to give a talk in October 1938 to ministers who were wavering and he asked uh, Anish what should he say that night Anish very simply said we'll tell them to take up their cross and follow Jesus so to him it was almost that simple and there's something about a childhood illness I have found because I had one not as severe as Anish's that makes you think, well, if you haven't learned to go forward by now, when will you? <laughs> so I would say to prospective students, um, this is a this is a calling. This is a vocation. It will it will take your whole self. That would be true if you're in any other vocation as well. But this is a very special one in which you will be asked to be there for others, for God, for others your family and that you will live this life that Jesus lived of giving yourself on behalf of others. And I think unless we have that capability, that, that desire, that calling, we won't then say God's word is primary, God's people are primary and so forth. So we get our calling right, then we see it in light of the word of God, the people of God and the service of the cross. Uh, and I, there are days in which I think I understand that, <laughs> but I'm still very trying very hard to live into that. But that's the kind of teaching, that's the kind of mentoring. Uh, that's why do we have mentoring groups at Beeson so that we can gather and pray for one another, to intercede for one another, to come alongside one another. We worship together not as a as an activity or as an obligation, but as representing that we're all one in Christ. We take up our learning because we want to serve the people of God, not because solely about grades and professional things and that sort of thing. And I think Bonhoeffer's point about discipleship, the German word for discipleship is very interesting because it can either be translated as a follower or as a successor. And Bonhoeffer's emphasis on Jesus trained the disciples to take his place, and we're always training people, not frankly, not to take our place, but to continue to take Jesus's place to be his body on earth. And that's a wonderful calling, but that's what we're about, not about making you great successes in major leadership roles uh, in the greatest country on earth. Dr. Haas, given the timing of this interview, as the COVID epidemic is raging again and numbers are surging we should probably ask you a question about ministry persevering through difficulty during COVID-19, during an epidemic. Uh, as you've looked around and experienced the epi epidemic yourself and watched pastors and other ministry leaders uh, guide people through this epidemic, has your thinking about this general theme of persevering in the midst of suffering been seasoned at all, affected at all? Uh, what would you say? Uh, to pastors and other ministry folks who are listening to us now uh, about things you might have learned from your study of Bonhoeffer and his world that apply to the way we think about living faithfully now in the midst of this epidemic. Yeah, I think we have a great opportunity to prove that we believe what we say we believe to the people who God has given us. And so I, I will just speak as a husband, father, son-in-law, grandfather. During this time, We've had the opportunity, my wife and I, to go serve for several weeks uh, helping her folks as her mom recovers from 
bone marrow cancer. Uh, I've had the need to to offer encouragement and support to my daughter and her family as they raise three small children and just try to stick with this because it continues to go on. And I think also have the chance to live with authenticity before younger people. I'm 63 now. And so I have enough experience to think we will weather this storm. We will come through it in part because I've had experiences before, but a lot of my students are 25 or so and they, they, they bring a wealth of experience with them, but they may haven't, they haven't had this series of things. And so as I look, as I look back on all the years, I need to be telling them God does protect us. God does help us, but he, he does it by giving us other people to encourage us and to stand with us and if need be, come live with us and take care of us. And so I think everything that the Lord has put into us to this stage will be, will be used during this time. But I am encouraged that over and over again, people now have a sense we'd like to be together. We would like to be sharing with one another that this plague is, is, particularly not a blessing because it separates us from people. But it is a blessing in that it gives us an opportunity to learn to die to self and put other people first. And to have the chance, as Anish did over and over again, and as Bonhoeffer could have stayed where it was easier, he came back to Germany. Anish and his wife could have chosen to leave their their ministry post when the, when the Soviet army was coming. They chose the hard path. Fritz, frankly, did not choose what was going to be best for his wife or his infant son, who was just born, if it meant him living. So it's a real, we're in a real 1 Corinthians 9 moment where we can give up whatever we perceive our rights to be and ask ourselves how we can serve others for the glory of God and to whatever tiny percentage of what Anish and the Apostle Paul and Jesus did that I've done, I'm grateful. So I, I would say to our students, keep serving the old gospel song, the way of the cross leads home. <laughs> um, I, I still believe it. We always enjoy ending these podcasts by just asking our um, guests to share what the Lord has been teaching you in your devotional time. And I mean, you've already just shared some great wisdom uh, with us. So um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but if so, we would just uh, love to hear um, what the Lord is teaching you these days and how that might encourage us. Yeah. I would just add this summer, I was had two or three teaching opportunities. One was a was in First Peter, and one was in Job. And since James is the only book of the New Testament to cite Job directly, I was helping I was having James help me understand the difference between tests and temptation. God will send circumstances that will test our faith in the sense that a test is supposed to be about things we need to know to make sure we know them. It's not a mental exercise. And to prove to us and to the world that we're with him. It is Satan who tempts us to do the wrong thing. James is very helpful with this. 
to divide that up because the Greek word, it could be used either way. So God's been teaching me the difference between a test and a temptation. And I'm trying to embrace the test because that's the one, that's what God's doing. And to patiently and humbly endure as I've been reading those books and as I've been, I reread uh, most of Bonhoeffer's sermons this summer. And as I've been trying to get some sense of what made a person like Fritz Anish go, the Lord's been helping me and encouraging me that however many years I have left, he will keep teaching me and using me. And I'm grateful for that. I am too. Dear listeners, you have been listening to Dr. Paul House, uh, a beloved professor of Old Testament, among other things, here at Beeson Divinity School for many years. Uh, We are glad that you've joined us. Uh, We invite you to join us as we learn from a variety of brothers and sisters in Christ here at the Divinity School in a special way in the weeks ahead, what it means to take up our crosses and follow Jesus and to suffer faithfully and fruitfully. Our prayer is that even this little podcast will play a role in helping you to suffer more faithfully and fruitfully uh, in the manner of and for the sake of our Lord Jesus. So thanks for being here. Please continue to pray for us. We pray for you and we say goodbye to you for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.